What must I do to inherit eternal life? You have read the law. How do you read it? We are to love the Lord our God with all our mind, heart, and soul. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. You have answered correctly. Do that and you will live. But the scribe wishing to justify himself in pride, thinking, well, I've done all that. I'm doing that. So, you know, what else do I need to do? Then we have the, our Lord. He says, who is my neighbor? We have the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this parable of the Good Samaritan, we have an encapsulation, an allegory of the entire history of salvation. Many signs here. First of all, we hear that this man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. <clears throat> Jerusalem is in the mountains, the high mountains. <clears throat> Jericho is a city at one of the lowest places an elevation on the face of the earth. So Jerusalem represents heaven, if you will, and Jericho represents the earth. This man, we're told, is going down and he's beset by robbers on the way. And they beat him, strip him, and leave him half dead by the side of the road. And this is a sign of original sin. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were constituted in this original grace of innocence, um, the original innocence, of the original grace, and constituted in communion with God in a very intimate relationship. <clears throat> and it was a covenant. God told them, you obey me and you will be blessed. They did not obey him. And because of their disobedience, they lost all that comes with being in communion with God. And the human race fell into wounded, disintegrated, fallen nature. And that's the image of the man being beset upon by robbers, beaten, stripped, and left half dead by the side of the road. So that man is us. <clears throat> and we're told then that first of all, uh, a priest comes by sees him, goes to the other side of the road so he doesn't have to deal with him, passes by. Next, a Levite comes by, <clears throat> sees him, goes to the other side of the road so he doesn't have to do anything about it. And these are his neighbors. These are his kin. These are his like as being descended from Abraham. You would normally consider themselves to be of one family of the people of God. And yet they have no mercy. They show no compassion for this man. But then we're told that a Samaritan comes by. And, this, and it's important. Samaritans were considered to be pagans. Gentiles, the Jews had nothing to do with them. They thought they were lost. But we're told that a Samaritan comes by, has pity on him. He sees him, has compassion. He dresses his wounds with wine and oil, puts him on his own beast, carries him to an end. And the end, of course, is the church, symbolizes the church. The beast that the Samaritan carries this man on is the incarnation, the flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is this good Samaritan. He casts compassion on us. He dresses his wounds with wine and oil, wine being, the wine being a symbol of the blood he shed. 
for our salvation, that we might have the grace of repentance and conversion of heart to be brought back to God. And the oil, of course, the unction of the Holy Spirit, the gift of sanctification for those who are reconciled to God by the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he takes him to the inn and tells the innkeeper, of course, the innkeeper is the apostle, the church, um, and he gives him two silver coins and says, here, take care of him, and if you spend anything more, when I come back, I will repay you. Well, of course, when he comes back, be at the end of time for the judgment. And the two silver coins have many different symbols, depending upon the commentator. But you could say, I think, perhaps that a coin would bear the inscription and the image of the potentate, the, the ruler, or whoever issued the coin. In this case, it would be the image of Christ in his divinity, the image of Christ in his humanity. So his humanity would be that image and inscription that we are called to incorporate into our lives. And so we can see in this parable of the Good Samaritan, we are that beaten man. We are that person going down from Jerusalem, symbolizing communion with God or heaven, Jericho being a symbol of the world, and the effect of the original sin on us. We are beaten, beset in our humanity by the evil one who tempted Adam and Eve to break covenant with God, break faith with him. And in doing that, they incurred all the, the evils, darkness, and sins that come from being alienated from God. And now this good Samaritan comes along. And it's important to note that Samaritans, like I said, were considered to be pagans, Gentiles, beneath the dignity of being even considered to be friends. So Christ turns this question of the scribe on his head. Who is my neighbor? He points out being a neighbor not defined by our external relationships, no matter how intimate they may be. Being neighbor means to be one who shows compassion, recognizing the humanity of another, even though they might be other than what we would consider to be those of our own household. And Christ is that Samaritan. So he tells us it's not a question of externals, not a question of family relationships. What it makes us a neighbor is do we have compassion? Do we have empathy? Do we have concern for others? And so we consider, you know, we can see ourselves in that beaten man. We can see everybody in that that man who was stripped, beaten, and left half dead by the side of the road. And Christ has concern for every single one of us, not only of the household of God, the Catholic Church, not only for Christians, Jews, um, um, whatever. Christ has compassion, sympathy for every single one of us. And it's up to us to recognize who we are, how desperately we need the mercy of God, even after baptism, even no matter how much progress we may have made in the spiritual life, 
we have need of God's mercy. And we, may, you know, we, we, we dare not look upon others um, with like the, um, the attitude of, the, of the, um, the, the priest and the Levite, as though, you know, we don't want to get involved. Christ loves every single one of us. He comes to us. He offers us healing. He offers us mercy. He offers us love. And we do well to recognize the greatness of the love he shows us. If we could but understand to some degree of the greatness of the mercy that God has shown us, his tolerance, his forbearance, his patience in dealing with our faults and failures, we would not, we'd be so filled with gratitude and humility that we would not be so inclined to find fault with others. Um, when we think about the mercy that God has shown us and continues to show us, we should be so grateful and recognize that we might be a little bit further along the road of salvation in our own minds, but yet, in reality, we may not be. That person that we look upon with pity and pity them and as though they are not on a level playing with it, they are not on the same plane with us in our relationship to God. Maybe they are better, maybe they're closer to God than we are. And so the scribe gives us an, uh, an example of what pride can do to blind us to the mercy of God and the need that we have not to be struck with pride, but that we be imbued with more and more hope, charity, humility, gratitude, and trust, and humbly accept the mercy of God and give him thanks and cling to him and do not be jealous of another person who we may look down upon and think we are better than or that we might look upon others to, to think that I wish I could be like them. Over and over in the, in the gospel, our Lord tells us that the first will be last and the last will be first. It is the poor, it is the humble who are the meek that are pleasing in God's eyes. And the proud would do well to recognize how poor, how weak, how lost they are until they recognize that God loves them as well. And of course, the final, uh, the final symbolism of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he says, if you spend any more in the care of this poor man, when I come back, I will repay you. Well, when he comes back, he's going to repay us with the judgment, the judgment of eternal life for the good and eternal misery for the, for the damned. <clears throat> And, the, uh, and it calls to mind the words of St. Paul. Paul might be the, uh, included in these symbolisms. And Paul says, and we look at the life of St. Paul. He was, he was a radical convert in his zeal to carry out all the precepts of the Jewish religion. He sought to destroy the church. He sought to kill it. And yet God chose this sacred vessel to be the means the instruments of his salvation that he would carry to the ends of the earth. Paul suffered greatly 
in carrying out his mission given to him by our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Paul was guided by two things. He knew he was loved by God. And he knew that his efforts to please God, no matter how frail they might be, please God. That's all he cared about. That's all he cared about. And so he was able to carry out everything Christ gave him to do because he was assured of the love of God and the grace to do, to push through all the difficulties of his life, to carry out what Christ had given him to do. And he would say, in my own flesh, I complete and bring perfection all that is lacking in Christ. Now, everything has been completed in Christ, but in St. Paul and in us, it must be that this, 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 this grace of Christ that he has won for us is such a terrible price, is to guide us and to strengthen us as well, that in our own flesh, we might accept the healing he comes to give us and turn from our pride to humility and trust and carry on with courage in the path of the vocation to which he has called each one of us. And we like St. Paul, with the knowledge that we are loved by God beyond all telling, and that our efforts, no matter how minor they may be in our own eyes, are pleasing God. I looked out here before Mass and I saw many, many young children, many mothers carrying small babies. And you might think that, you know, your life is, you know, what's so special about my life? But you don't have any, you don't have any idea, I don't think, of how important it is that you carry out all the duties of your vocation as wives and mothers. And you are completing in your own flesh. You are completing and bringing to more to, to completion in your own flesh all that is lacking <clears throat> in what Christ has, has done in his own life. Because Christ is living in you, no less than in St. Paul, to be faithful to the vocation to which you are called and the duties of that vocation. And we can do nothing better than that. It might not seem to be something great in our own eyes, but it might be greater in the eyes of God than those that, cons that the world considers to be um, elevated, important um, symbols of all that we hope to be. Praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ.